aren't you glad that we have a reason to live, a reason to breathe, a reason to sing, and it's all because of Jesus Christ. And we're asking him to take our life each day and make it what he wants it to be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love, at the impulse of Thy love. to you this morning and we are so honored to be in your presence we thank you lord for taking our lives for molding it to what you want it to be lord god and we ask this morning lord as we continue worshiping your song that we will just shout out that god you are my god and we will not be ashamed of the gospel of jesus christ because you are worthy of all of our praise we love you lord we praise you we give you this day as we continue worshiping you can be seated as we continue please no praise can define you no thought can contain you god for no other one is holy and no other one is robed in
Across our country today, uh, churches are celebrating uh, the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And uh, Rebecca Boer Behrens is here with us today. And uh, she's going to explain to us the work that they do in the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Homestead. So Rebecca, you come on up here and let's welcome Rebecca back to the church. She's. Uh, She's one of our little kids that grew up here in the church, and we're so proud of her, and so many of our other kids that grew up, and Diane Mussey did a real bio on you, and gave your history here in our Sunday Courier. Uh, Rebecca, tell us what's going on in Homestead. 
Well, good morning, and I'm just so glad to be here to speak today. Um, my name is Rebecca Varens, and I have the honor of serving as the client service coordinator at the Pregnancy Resource Center in Homestead. And I'm here this morning with my husband, Daniel. We just celebrated our one-year anniversary, so we're thankful for that and honored to be here today. Um, the Pregnancy Resource Center has been serving the surrounding communities for about 24 years with the vision to defend the sanctity of all human life. We trust in the power of God to accomplish our mission of empowering, educating, and encouraging sexually at-risk young adults with the truth through free medical and support services. We do not receive state or government funding, so we function on a very tight budget provided by the generosity of local churches and individuals just like you. Because we are not government-funded, we have the exciting freedom of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with any clients that are open to that. We believe that this is a ministry near and dear to God's heart, and we are fighting in a spiritual battle to save his most treasured creation, which are people made in his own image. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 say, Rescue those who were unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, Look, we didn't know. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. And those are pretty convicting words, right, from scripture. Um, but I would like to draw a comparison for you real quick. Um, I don't think that anyone would debate that the people who perished in the attacks on September 11th were unjustly sentenced to die. I'm sure everyone here sitting here today would have done something, anything, to stop the attacks before they happened. And nearly 3,000 people were unjustly sentenced to death that day. While I don't want to at all minimize the tragedy of that day, if you look strictly at the numbers, September 11th really does pale in comparison to abortion. Each week, abortions performed at Planned Parenthood kill twice the number of innocent human beings than the terrorists killed on that one tragic day. This happens every week. So that comes to over 300,000 abortions that are performed by Planned Parenthood each year alone. Since September 11th, 2001, Planned Parenthood has claimed the lives of nearly 3.6 million babies. And that's really very staggering. These numbers do not include other abortion clinics, hospitals, or doctor's offices. So we don't have to wait for the next attack on innocent life to happen because it's happening right now. Next week, another 6,000 lives will be lost. So please ask yourselves, how am I personally fulfilling the mission of Proverbs 24:11, of rescuing those who are unjustly sentenced to die? Fighting in this battle can look many different ways, and God has given us all something to contribute. We at the PRC are so grateful for LBC's financial support from the Christmas offering. We cannot function without the generosity of local churches. We are also very grateful for your MOPS group, who recently joined us in our mission by touching the life of one of our homestead clients. This particular client was determined to have an abortion when she found out she was pregnant. But after an ultrasound revealed that she was pregnant with twins, and she heard our sonographer's post-abortive testimony, God performed a miracle, and she chose life for her babies. Beyond reasons we understand, in God's sovereignty, he chose to take her babies home when she was only 24 weeks along. She was devastated. A few months later, LBC's MOPS group generously purchased Christmas gifts for her and her other children. When she came to the center to pick up the gifts, she was very broken and acknowledged her need for grief counseling as she was still mourning the loss of her twins. We are praising the Lord that she is now receiving the spiritual guidance she so much needs from one of our counselors. This is a perfect example of how God works. He used Christmas gifts to bring her back into our center. He takes our efforts and he magnifies them to affect eternity and to glorify himself. So God is using the PRC staff and volunteers for his glory, and we want you to be a part of this beautiful mission. Maybe some of you are already serving in some capacity in the pro-life movement, and that's awesome. But for those of you who are not, I really want to challenge you to pray and ask the Lord how he would have you participate in this spiritual battle that is claiming thousands of lives each week in our own backyard. 
So how is the pregnancy center fighting this battle? Well, um, in your bulletin, you can see um, all of the free programs and services that we provide because, again, our mission um, is to empower, encourage, and educate sexually at-risk young adults with truth through medical and support services. They're all free. And so we do pregnancy testing, ultrasounds, STD testing and treatment, post-abortion counseling for men and women who have had abortions in their past and are in need of healing from the Lord post-assault counseling, grief support um, for women who have experienced a pregnancy loss or infant loss, parenting and childbirth classes, material assistance, um, mentoring support for young moms and dads, and resources and referrals to help clients with additional needs. Um, and in order to be proactive in our community, we present our in-the-know educational abstinence programs in nearly 70 public, public and private schools throughout the greater Pittsburgh area. So with a desire to increase the impact of the Pregnancy Center, um, we expanded to Homestead, where I work, and that was just last year. And we are witnessing incredible stories of courageous young men and women who are choosing life. In 2013, we had over 1,100 client visits at the South Hills and Homestead Centers. We performed 223 ultrasounds on abortion-vulnerable women, and we are praising God that 89% of those women chose life. Um, we also had 24 of these women um, profess Christ as their savior at the center or rededicated their lives to Christ. So we thank God for each heart and mind that has changed, but we are also sobered at the millions of others who instead choose to abort. Um, shortly after the attacks on September 11th, people were united in the fight against terrorism. People were willing to sacrifice, and today we have an un unbelievable opportunity to join the mission of eradicating abortion in Pittsburgh and the surrounding communities. It begins with the people right here in this room. I'm challenging you today to sacrifice something, your time, your energy, your gifts, talents, and your prayers, and join the battle for the lives of the unborn. I can personally tell you that even in light of the sacrifice, it is an absolute joy to be a part of this ministry and to witness God at work. Please pray about how you can become a greater participant in this fight for life. Thank you so much for having me. And if you have any interest in finding out more about the center or how you can become more involved, you can talk to me after the service. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Boy, we're so thankful to the Lord. What a terrific statistics. Uh, what a great work they're doing. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you somewhere in the seat in front of you and pull out one of those little black friendship folders we have along the aisle. And if you'll be so kind to put your name on that and give it to somebody sitting next to you, we will appreciate that uh, this morning a lot. Uh, just a few announcements for today. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the crisis pregnancy centers are on our birthday gift to Jesus list. Uh, every year here at the church, uh, we try to raise money for missions. And uh, we consider this to be missions, local missions. These people are winning people to Christ. They're doing a terrific work. And we just want to be an encouragement to them. Uh, for about 10 or 11 weeks now, we've been raising the money to send to these various missionaries and organizations like um, your organization over there in Homestead. And this is where we are right now. I want you to take a look at it. We are about 20, I think about $2,500 from reaching the goal of uh, $73,000 for missions for Christmas. And this is money that we give away. Uh, this is money that we send all over the place. And uh, I want to commend you uh, for the sacrifice that you have uh, that you have given these funds. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you haven't participated in this, help us get over the goal, okay? Uh, let's push it over. It would be great if we could just do that today. You know, just push it over the top so that I could come back here next Sunday and tell you that we've gone over the goal. When you give to this, please designate it Christmas so that we can keep it separate from our regular giving. And uh, let's, uh, let's see what God will do today, and uh, we'll announce that next Sunday. This is an incredible sacrifice, and I know a lot of you have, uh, have reached down real deep, and uh, you have given throughout this last 10-week period. 
So thank you once again. Um, out in the foyer, you're going to be hearing me mention this probably for about two more weeks. Uh, we have our Bible reading records, uh, schedules. Uh, we ordered 300 of these, and most of them are gone. And so that means uh, that's a good sign for our church. That means a lot of people have picked this up and said, listen, I'm going to start to uh, get organized in my reading of the Bible. Um, Joanne and I have used this for, I think, probably at least four years now. This has been our schedule, and uh, we enjoy it. Uh, just, uh, just this morning, I was uh, reading the Bible, and I made my checks, and I know exactly where I am. And right now, I'm ahead, <laughs> to my surprise, <laughs> ahead of the schedule. But sometimes in the summer, I get behind. But what this does is this keeps me on, on track. I pick it up and I say, okay, now I better pick it up. And so if you go through this booklet, uh, you've read the Bible through in one year. Now, you don't have to do that. You don't have to read the Bible in one year. Maybe you want to read half of it in one year. But whatever you get of it, it's food for the soul. And so if you don't have one of these, pick one up in the foyer before you leave today. Take it home. Put it in your Bible and start on the journey. I think it will be a big help to you. Let's stand together this morning as our ushers come and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. We thank you so much for uh, your giving each week to keep the ministry going down the road. And when I think of uh, people like Rebecca who grew up in the church that's out there serving the Lord uh, it just makes my heart feel good to know that our Sunday school teachers, they're raising another generation of Rebecca's uh, down there in the Sunday school classroom that are going to go out there and they're going to come back to a church sometime and say, hey, listen, this is what we're doing for Christ. The ministry of the church moves on and, and you're the people that fund that uh, financially. And so let's, let's thank the Lord for these blessings. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the privilege that we have to give for your work today. We pray now that as we receive the tithes and the offerings of your people, that you'll pour out upon our church the spirit of generosity. Lord, we render these gifts to you, realizing that you are the one who gave them to us in the first place. And so we pray that you'll bless now each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
glad to be here today to worship the Lord. It's exciting to worship the Lord in our church this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can get that ready. We're going to go to Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 22 today. I'd like to talk about a cause worth living for. You know, as, uh, as we look at these guys in the Bible, these men of the Bible, we, we tend to think of them as, as men that had it all together. And um, I think that they, they did a pretty good job, but we see a lot of their strengths, a lot of their weaknesses. We see their successes and their failures. But I want to remind you that they were men, men and women that were just like you and I, and they faced some of the same struggles that you and I face. And... Um, those struggles that we often face are sometimes discouragement. Sometimes we get going in the battle and we start thinking, wow, this is how I wanted life to go and it didn't go that way. And I know for myself, oftentimes I look at where I thought life would go at different parts of my life and I say, wow, I'm discouraged at times and I, and I get disappointed because I stop looking at what I'm really living for and I try to live for myself. So this morning we're going to look at something from the scripture here, just some few lessons, a few thoughts of two men who lived for the Lord, and they had a cause that was worth living for. So let's look this morning, Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7 to begin. Now it happened at Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the believing Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. He was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentile and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. They became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. First of all, in your notes this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to the fact that Paul and Barnabas were passionate about the mission. They had a mission. God gave them a mission. If you go over and you look in Acts chapter 13, you'll find that Paul and Barnabas, after a time of prayer and fasting, were chosen by the Lord to go on this missionary journey. And this missionary journey was to reach the Gentile world, to go out, to spread, because the, the gospel had came to the Jew first, the Bible tells us. Jesus came as a Jew. So the, the gospel came originally to the Jew first and to also the Greek, to the rest of the world. And so they were spreading the gospel further than the Jewish centers they were taking the gospel and they were carrying it forward. So here are two men that have decided to follow Jesus. They've decided to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. They lived their life on the mission that God had called them to. They were passionate to plant churches. They were passionate to go into communities and tell them about the true and living God. That this Jesus rose from the dead. He died on the cross to pay for your sin. And he rose from the dead. That was their message. And their message is, was that if you would just simply trust him. Put your faith in him. That you would have eternal life. And to become a follower of this Jesus. Paul and Barnabas had been through, through, uh, thrown out of Antioch and Pisidia. Um, they descended down the mountains going into Lyconia. They, were, they went first to Iconium. Uh, and this was a commercial center on the road between Asia and Syria. Now, for a minute, I want you to stop and think with me what Paul and Barnabas were experiencing. Chapter 13 says that after they were ran out of the town of Antioch, that they had dusted off their shoes. In other words, they weren't going to let the opposition stop them. They dusted off their shoes, and they kept going on to the next town. And, uh, and it also says that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they had a joy that was coming from the Lord, but yet they had great opposition. It was not easy what they were called to do. They shook off the dust, they kept going, but there was great joy because their joy was coming from the Lord, not from their circumstances. Their joy wasn't coming from the fact that they were, their life was on the line, from the fact that these people were mounting up to, to kill them. 
Paul doesn't come out and directly voice his discouragement. However, I want you to think with me that he had to deal with it. Yes, he had great joy because his joy was in the Lord. But as he would look at the situation and say, wow, this had to be hard. This was a hard situation. He dealt with these hard situations and responded in the joy of the Lord. Let's not think for... Uh, for Let's not think this morning that just because these were great men in the scriptures that they didn't have the emotions, they didn't have the, the pain that was associated with the journey. That's what happens to us in our life. You know, we set out to do what God has called us to do. You, you, in your family, you set out to do what God has called you to do, and it gets hard. Marriage is hard work. Uh, you get out into your career and God calls you to, to do something in that career. And you're trying to make disciples. You're trying to go out and, and help people find Jesus in your work. And you say, wow, this is challenging because there's a few people at work I don't even like. And, uh, and this, this is challenging. And so my, my job gets harder and harder as I keep going forward. But God says that he has a plan and he wants to keep working that plan. That's what he did for Paul and Barnabas. He had a plan, and he kept the plan going. He kept working it, and Paul and Barnabas were faithful to come back and get their strength from the Lord. I want you to look at the map of the cities here, okay? This was Antioch and Pisidia, and uh, from there they came down to Iconium. And uh, as, uh, as they traveled through the mountainous region, I want you to just think of the, the, sheer, uh, the sheer energy that it took to take that journey on that type of travel in those days. And so they were committed. They had a, they had a mission. It was, their life was worth living. They, were, they had a cause that they were living for. They wanted to go out and change the world for God. And so God was on their mission. They were following the Lord, and they kept going. Iconium was a commercial center on the road between Asia and Syria. So they made their way through the mountainous region of Antioch to this town. And they began their ministry, and they did it in the same way that they did in Antioch. They went in, and they set up into, into the Jewish synagogue. So they go into the, in, in there and they say, let's, let's start, and we're going to start here with these people. And why did they start there? Well, the Jewish people had a basic understanding of God. They understood that God was the creator. They understood that there was one God. And so they came and they started with the people that had a basic understanding and were saying, because Jesus came to the Jews, they could come and associate and said that he was a Jew and you can start there. But they weren't limiting themselves. To the Jews. They were coming to reach everybody. And the scripture tells us there that the, a great crowd gathered around. Um, so, and they spoke the, that a great crowd, multitude, both of Jews and of the Greeks, believed. And so many people were coming to God. They're on the mission and God is working. And, uh, but yet trouble walks back in. The trouble just keeps coming up because the people that were in opposition to their message were both Jews and Gentiles. And they began to make a division. The division was not the Jews versus the Gentiles, but those that would side with the Jews, going for the tradition, going for the, the standard way of things that were done, and uh, versus those that were against the apostles' teaching. A revival of the things of God often will bring an excitement of the bad passions of the opposition. And this is what happened. They had a revival. The people were coming and, and following God, and yet the opposition says, uh-huh, they're, they're a threat to us. Uh-huh, that, that they're blaspheming. They're, they're totally not what we're about. And so the opposition begins, and the opposition stirs. This happens in your life, doesn't it? You go out, and you're living for God, and you're trying to do something at your, at, at your work. You're trying to do something in your home. And then all of a sudden, somebody says, well, why is everything so different? Oh, he's, he's really different now. What, what's changed? Why, why, why couldn't things just stay the way that they were? Why did you have to change? And when we have a personal revival with God, sometimes that happens. Quite often it happens. We face opposition. Paul and Barnabas were passionate about the call that God had given them to make disciples. Their life was on the line. And why would they go out? Why would they put their life on the line? Well, they had a cause that was worth living for. Acts 1.8 uh, Jesus gave this to, to the disciples. Let's read this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they had a mission and this was their mission. 
Jesus gave them the Great Commission, Matthew 28, uh, to go out and make disciples. They were to make disciples, people that would be learners, not just learners learning the knowledge, but become actual apprentice of Christ, become a, a, like the master. And so they were to go out and they were to make disciples in all these communities, and they were on target. We could say that these men were courageous men. They weren't just men that were going out and, and playing with hobbies all the time. They were courageous men. They were putting their life on the line. They get wind of the division. They get wind of the potential threat. And they say, instead of going and saying, well, we'll just kind of cease this mission. They say, let's get the mission going. That means it's time to go to the next city. And so they flee to Lystra. Lystra was about 25 miles south of Iconium. And God's work continues. They found their courage in the Lord. And they go on to the next uh, city and the gospel goes out. And miracles begin to happen. Miracles were happening in response to the gospel. Let's look at Acts 14, verses 8 through 10. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up, uh, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. The mission of the, of the apostles was not to go out and have a healing campaign and do all these miracles. The miracles were there to validate their mission. And so as they went out, remember, they didn't have the complete word of God. We have the completed word of God. We're, we're reading the history of what happened to these guys. And uh, th these men have, didn't have the complete word of God, so God is validating their mission, and he performs these miracles along their way. Miracles were happening in response to the gospel. Notice that our text here says that a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting. He was crippled from his mother's womb, and he had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul was preaching the gospel. And so here, here's Paul preaching the gospel, and over laying down on the ground. This was commonplace for these guys. They were out, and they were, they were with their cans, Yelling, help, asking for alms, asking for, for help. These people, this man was helpless. He couldn't even fend for himself. He, he couldn't work to provide for himself. So he would lay in the, in the town and yell and ask for people to help. And so Paul comes along and Paul is teaching. He's preaching the gospel and he tells them that Jesus died on the cross. But not only is Paul just proclaiming, He's also looking at the people and he sees. And notice he says there that Paul, observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed. Paul watched and he noticed the people that he was working with. And he saw this man and he goes over and he says with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. You know what? That was a great miracle. It was an exciting miracle. And the miracle was deeper than a man who could walk. A man who was crippled could now walk. That, that was pretty exciting. But there was a deeper miracle, and the deeper miracle was that this man's heart was transformed and that many people were coming to Christ. Now, I had a brother, and many of you know uh, that my brother was 29 years old when he passed away, and uh, all his life he was crippled. He never walked. My mom took care of him all of his life. And I'll tell you what, I would have loved to have seen him be healed. I would love to have seen him walk into this church one day. But he was crippled all his life. I know that he's healed in heaven. I know that he's walking on the streets of gold now. He's been freed from that body that was crippled and broken down. But now he's walking with the Lord. But this man got to experience an actual miracle right there in their midst. And all the people of the town that had known him said, wow, this, there's something special that was happening here. And I want you to think with me this morning about the people in your life that are helpless. Now, this man is really a picture of the helpless people in our life. There are people that are spiritually helpless all around us. They have the can out, and they're asking for alms, and they're, they're saying, please, just help me. Please, I, I'd like to have a little bit more fun in my life. I, please, I, I need more relationships Please, I, I need this. And they try to fill their life with the things that, that will never fill their life. And 
We see these hopeless people all around us. And God has put you in their path to proclaim the good news to Jesus Christ so that a miracle would happen that they would be made whole. This is an exciting thought for you and I. As we look further, Acts 14, verses 11 through 18, the crowds didn't really understand what was going on here. The crowds did not understand what Paul and Barnabas were doing. Acts 14, 11. Uh, now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, it was kind of a Greek dialect, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, and Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought, uh, brought oxen and garland to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless... He did not leave himself without witness. In that, he did good. Gave us rain from the heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Here's the picture. These men come in. God does this miracle. So here's Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas, uh, was, they called him Zeus. Hermes they, uh, and Paul, they called Hermes. And they called Barnabas Zeus. I understand from what, uh, what most scholars believe that Barnabas was a, a, a bigger stature. He was a taller, more athletic build. And uh, here's a picture of what, what a lot of the Greek, mytho Greek mythological gods, what they would believe them to be. And, uh, and so he had lightning in his hand and a scepter in the other. Also Hermes. The next picture here is of Hermes. Hermes was small. But he was also known as the communicator. So Paul, they thought was, they have thought to be smaller. And the text tells us that they called him Hermes because he was the communicator. He was the spokesperson. So in response to healing this man, this is what they called him. But why would they do that? Well, let me just give you a little background here. Uh, the picture of Zeus and Hermes here from, the, uh, the, the, from what the townspeople called him. There was a Roman poet named Ovid. He had told in an ancient legend where the two Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, came down from their home on Mount Olympus, disguised as mere mortals. They wandered throughout the region that Paul and Barnabas are now in. These two gods supposedly uh, went around looking for lodging in the homes of the villagers. Still in their disguises, they were turned away from thousands of homes until finally they were led into the small cottage of an elderly couple. Zeus and Hermes were angry and destroyed the thousands of households that turned them away. But according to this legend, they turned the small cottage into a temple with marble columns and a golden roof. The people of Lystra still believed that legend, and they did not want to have a repeat of those events. So when they see these two men traveling and then suddenly a man that they had seen all their life that was crippled, Stands up, jumping up and down, running around the town. What more could they think? And so they come and they begin to worship these guys as though they were the Greek gods. The, the, the landscape of the culture that day, they believed in many gods. The Greeks had many gods. And, and you know that from, your, from looking at the Greek mythological gods. They, a small g. They had all the, you know, this God was the God over the rain. This was the God over good things. This was God over this. And they had all these different things that th these gods were gods over. So they came out and they, were, they did what was their natural response. But Paul wasn't, re Paul wasn't willing for them to just come to a natural response. He wanted them to know the true God. While there were many gods that they believed in, God, Jesus, was the true God. And he wanted them to turn from these gods unto the living God. And while it was natural for them, for them to come out with these gifts, 
the crowd could turn so easily. And, uh, and, and we're going to see that in just a moment, how the crowd turns so easily. But, but here, the Apostle Paul is telling them, he goes on further, he says, listen, it's all about creation. Look at, look at what God has given us. Look at the creation around you. That points back to the living God. Look at Romans 1.20. Um, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So Paul comes out and he gives them the, the very basics and says, listen, even creation bears witness to God. We are not God's. We're just mere men. Don't worship us. We want you to worship Jesus. Well, Paul and Barnabas also have to suffer. Number four in your outline this morning. Paul and Barnabas suffer greatly. Acts 14, 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Paul and Barnabas suffer greatly. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the Jews, that, that was their way of dealing with things. They, uh, according to their law, if somebody was a blasphemer, they had the right to stone them. And so, so these Jewish people would come together and they would take these stones and just, just pummel them with stones, just just destroy these people, and oftentimes they would die. As a matter of fact, they took Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he were dead. They left him for dead. Then the disciples, the followers, those that have come to God in that town, they come around, maybe they had come around to pray over him. Maybe they had come around him to give him a proper burial. They were grieving at the loss of what was happening. And then God does a miracle. God gives him the energy to to come out of it. He's been beat with these stones. He's destroyed. He's down on the ground. He's been drug out of the city. And then God allows him the energy to come up. And I'll tell you, if that were me, I think I would be going on a little sabbatical, wouldn't you? I'd be like, oh, I think this was pretty hard. I, I think we'll delay the mission for a month. We'll just take some time off. I, I'm going to go home and heal. I'm going to let, let my wounds heal up a little bit. No. Paul, it says here, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby, And there they continued to make disciples. They continued to make disciples. He continues to go on and do what God has called him to do. I find it exciting that God would uh, give him that energy, that God would give him that strength. You know, when we go out and we do things for the Lord, quite often we will suffer. And I think that that is part of the picture that we don't like. We don't like to take that part of suffering into, the, into calculation. We just want to go and do what God's called us to do. But John 15, 18, Jesus said that the world will hate you because they hate me. So this was to be expected. And so he's engaged in a spiritual battle. Verse 20, when the disciples gather around him, he gets up and he goes on to the next place. No wonder Paul said over in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He had laid it all on the line. He had a cause that was worth living for. That cause was something that would outlast his lifetime. Then lastly, Paul encourages the church, even in the tough times. Uh, Acts 14, 21 through 22 And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So they keep preaching. They keep doing what God has called them to do, despite the suffering, in spite of all the pain. In spite of all the discouragement that they no doubt had to endure, they keep going. He makes further rounds. He goes back to the cities where he had been persecuted. Goes back to these places. Goes back to where his life was on the line. And what does he do? The scripture here tells us that he strengthens the souls of the disciples. And he exhorts them or encourages them. 
In the Bible, the word for encouragement is a, is a word that means to come alongside, to call out the best in them. When we encourage somebody, I want you to think about this. You instill courage in them. When the Apostle Paul went back to those towns, he instilled courage in them. He said, you can do this. Keep going. Don't give up. Look, I have been stoned. Everything was all but gone. And I am still fighting. And I want you to keep fighting. These courageous men instilled courage in them and the other believers. They went back, and, and as you read the text, it tells us that they worked with the leaders. And they wanted to make sure that, that the church would go forward. And they were instilling courage. Have you ever been around somebody like that? That after five minutes you just say, wow, I really enjoyed that conversation. Why? Because they encouraged you. I mean, we love to hear somebody encourage us. We love to hear somebody say, good job, well done. We love to hear somebody say, keep doing it. It's going to, be, it's going to work out. Keep going in your family. Keep going in your life. Don't worry about the crisis. It's going to be all right. Encouragement is what God does for us. God gives us encouragement. Romans 15, verses 5 through 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us encouragement. May our, over in 2 Thessalonians 2.16, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and uh, God our Father who loved us by his grace, give us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The Holy Spirit is our encourager. Also, the scriptures are encourager. Romans 15.5 says that the scriptures were written to teach and encourage us by giving us hope. That's why we want to have the whole church reading the Bible. That's why we want you to get on the reading schedule, because you will be encouraged. God will instill the courage in you to keep going in the battle that he's called you to do. But what would it look like if our church became a place of encouragement? What would it look like if our families became families that were encouraging our children, encouraging husbands and wives? Encouraging them to do what God has called them to do. I had read the story of, of a lady. Her name was Cheryl Pruitt. And uh, she was, as a little kid, she had grown up in a grocery store. Uh, her, going to the grocery store where her dad worked. It was in a rural community. And her dad was the owner of the grocery store. So she went in every day with her, with her father. And uh, the milkman would come in. And every day he would come in and he, and he would rub her head. And say, how's my little Miss America? How's my little Miss America? And he always encouraged her. He always gave her a positive word. Do you know what happened to Cheryl Pruitt? She grew up and began to think, wow, maybe I could become Miss America. In 1980, she became Miss America. And she thanked in her acceptance that day, she thanked not only God, but the milkman for her encouragement. And I, wanna, I want you to think about this. The power of our words. We can encourage those around us, can't we? We can encourage those that are trying to do something for God. We can, we can give that little rub on the head to a kid in Sunday school downstairs. Hey, keep it up. It's exciting. I'm just so happy to see you. My daughter talks about a couple of the Sunday school teachers that she had throughout the years. She doesn't talk about too many of their lessons. As a matter of fact, I don't know if she remembers any of them. But she remembers a few of the teachers. And the one that she remembers are the ones that came and said, you can do it. You can go home and read the word, and you'll make an impact in your school. And those are the ones that they still keep as a shining star. I want to encourage our church. I want to instill courage that we would go out and instill courage in other people. Let's read this as we close together. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Encourage each other. This is the mission. We are, to, we are to go out and make disciples. Go out and make learners and apprentices of Jesus that will go out and make other people that will be apprentices of Jesus. 
This is our calling. And how do we do that? It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But yet we have to encourage each other. Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, I would like to challenge you, the church. Is there somebody that you need to encourage to come to Christ? Who do you need to go home to today and talk to and encourage them to come to Christ? Who in the church, what little kid can we go and rub them on the head and say, keep it up, it's going to be good? What person in your sphere of influence is really struggling right now and needs you to go over and tell them, it's okay, get back on the mission? We have a cause that's worth living for. Let's go for it. Maybe you're here and you've never opened your heart to Christ. You can open your heart to Christ sitting right here and begin that life of encouragement from God. Just, you can pray a simple prayer to the Lord, something like this. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin. And I invite you into my life right now. I need you in my life. Father God, I come before you and I ask that you'll be with all of our church family here, Lord. Help us as we think about who you are. As we think about the mission that you have given us. And we go out and encourage this church. To instill courage in them. That they may walk in the light as you are in the light. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together as we dismiss and greet each other around you. Thank you for coming today. We're glad you're here.